Hello, everyone, and welcome to Highlighter Highlights. I am your host, Alma Bean, and we are going to dive into everything Utah Jazz related that has happened in the last week. So the way that we're going to go ahead and start today is go over the predictions I had in our last episode. I went ahead and said that we were going to go ahead and have the Utah Jazz starting off the season two and two. If you go ahead and keep up with the standings, that obviously did not happen. But the way that it happened, in my opinion, I feel like there could have been a few things that have swayed the record one way or another. First game against Sacramento Kings, season opener, home opener, debut of New Jersey's new court. I thought that momentum was going to be on Utah's side. But instead, the Sacramento Kings went ahead and ruined the home opener for Utah. Harrison Barnes went ahead and came in and made himself look like he was a legitimate all-NBA talent. At one point, he was shooting 10 for 11 from the field. Granted, he ended up going 1 for 5 after that point, but... He ended up finishing the game with a game high of 33 points. It just was lights out for him. Jordan Clarkson, he tried to go ahead and do his best to go ahead and keep Utah in the game. He went ahead and had 24 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists. He even only had 2 turnovers, which in my opinion is him being a main ball handler in this game. I thought that was very impressive for him. So seeing that change from being the absolute need to score, put up threes at all costs, to now having to digest the game, use more of his basketball IQ and facilitate. Absolutely love it. As far as their next game goes, the Utah Jazz went ahead and had a very nice guest in Pat McAfee show up courtside. And so far, that was game number one that Utah went ahead and won, uh, 120 to 118 against the Los Angeles Clippers. If you did listen to the last episode of Highlighter Highlights, I did say that I believe that Utah was going to go ahead and win this game. I did also believe, say, that the game was also going to be within five points. And again, it was 120 to 118, and it came down to the final possession. Once again, Jordan Clarkson being a focal point of this game. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily for his offense, even though he did go ahead and produce 13 points. He went ahead and had four rebounds, six assists again. But it was more of his defensive effort that went ahead and caught the attention of fans. Because on the final possession, he was given the difficult task of guarding Kawhi Leonard, who in this game went ahead and scored 25 points, nine rebounds, five assists. And Kawhi Leonard went ahead and took it upon himself to go ahead and try and take the game-winning shot. And Jordan Clarkson went ahead and played airlock tight defense on him. And thankfully, for Utah's sake, went ahead and was able to pull away with the win. Because after that point, it's been pretty much downhill from there. Utah went ahead and ended their home stint one and one and went ahead and had to play the very next day against the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns were doing their home opener that night. The energy in the arena was just absolutely electric from the people I knew that went to that game. But it just seemed that immediately the team looked jet-lagged, tired, exhausted. Even John Collins, who at this point was making Utah Jazz history and even added to it in this game against Phoenix, he was at a team-worst minus 28 for a plus-minus rating and He even finished the game with 11 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, which made him the first player in Utah Jazz history since they went ahead and moved from New Orleans to Utah to go ahead and average a triple-double in their first three games 
as a Utah Jazz member. Just thinking about all the amazing players that have come through Utah, thinking that John Collins is the first to do that in their first three games is astounding. So Utah went ahead and lost that game 126 to 104. Again, it just seemed like Phoenix was ready to just come out firing on all cylinders, even without Devin Booker and Bradley Beal. But when you have guys like Kevin Durant to carry your team and Grayson Allen just having a very delayed revenge game against Utah, it's hard to go ahead and say that anything was going to go in Utah's favor for this game. As far as their most recent matchup, it was against the Denver Nuggets. Utah went ahead and actually kept this game pretty close throughout. Honestly, if it wasn't for the gap that Denver went ahead and created in the first quarter, which was 31-21, to I believe that Utah would have been in this game a little bit more. The final score was 110-102 to in Denver's favor to go ahead and continue their undefeated season. But overall, I don't think that Utah played that terrible of a game. I mean, only having 12 turnovers, which according to years past, 12 turnovers is pretty nice for a Utah Jazz team. It was the first time that we went ahead and saw Keontae George not look like the astounding rookie that he has been for the previous three games, where he's been around the 8 to 12 point mark. He's been using his amazing basketball IQ, but with this performance against Denver, he went ahead and only had three points, two assists, one rebound, but he also had a team low of a minus 12 plus minus rating and his shooting just was not there. He was one for six from the field, one for four from the three-point line. It was just really difficult to go ahead and find a lot of positives for Keontae George in this game. But seeing that he went ahead and increased his workload to 20 minutes there, where he was right around the 12-minute mark in the rotation, that is very hopeful and very nice to go ahead and see that this very promising rookie is getting some really great time for this team. So now going forward with Utah Jazz, as the time of this recording, there is a game tonight that they are going to be playing against the Memphis Grizzlies, which without John Morant or Steven Adams, they have not looked like the dominant Memphis Grizzlies team that we have been used to seeing. They are currently 0-4, still looking for their first win of the year, but knowing how Utah has been playing and what their emphasis has been on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, I do expect this to go ahead and be a very difficult matchup for Utah, just because even though Memphis still has yet to get a win for the season, they are defensively sound. Behind Jaron Jackson Jr. and Xavier Tillman, they have managed to go ahead and not only be seventh best in the league in blocks, but they are also tied for fourth in the league for steals. And mind you, that both of those stats are for the team. So even though they haven't gotten a win, they are still going to bring a lot of pressure on the defensive end. As far as our breakdown for the next couple of games before our next episode, I believe that Utah is going to go ahead and pull away with two straight wins at home. First being against Memphis, which is on November 1st. And then they immediately have a back-to-back, which is the second one of the season, which I think is crazy that Utah is already having two back-to-backs in two weeks to start off the season. I don't know how that scheduling works, but I believe they'll go ahead and pull away from Memphis. I do think it's going to be a close game. I would probably call it within maybe six or seven points. 
and then they face Orlando the next day. I do believe Orlando is on an upward trend based off of what I've seen so far from their team. And they've just been managing to build more and more depth on their roster. Just, I mean, if you look at who they have on their squad, I mean, outside of Rookie of the Year, Paolo Bancaro, they also have solid depth in paint with Wendell Carter Jr., which even though he is only 6'10", I do believe that he brings such a big presence in the paint that even though you may have size on your side, Wendell Carter Jr. is going to go ahead and bring an immense amount of pressure. Jonathan Isaac, he's been looking great on the defensive end. He has been electric so far. If you haven't seen it, he went ahead and got an amazing block on Jalen Green, which wasn't even credited until the following day. But if you haven't seen it, look it up. It's crazy. And then along with the Wagner twins, both Franz and Moritz, it's just great seeing that these guys have been able to go ahead and thrive in this organization, along with having Cole Anthony and Anthony Black finally getting the minutes that they deserve. Even though Anthony Black, it's only four games in, he's still trying to find his footing in the NBA but Cole Anthony going ahead and getting his extension, Gary Harris expanding his game and really showing that he is a shooter, Markel Fultz becoming the point guard that we all thought that he was going to be when he was drafted by Philadelphia. There's a lot of promise going into this Orlando Magic team, so I wouldn't be surprised if they went ahead and started off hot early against the Utah Jazz and then Utah finding out the weaknesses for this team as the game moves along. But I do think that this will be a race to the finish. So with that being said, I do think that it's going to come down to the final shot for Utah, but ultimately they will pull away with the win. The next game is going to be on the road. It's going to be the first game of a four-game road trip for Utah as they take on the Minnesota Timberwolves. That team alone, I think, is just terrifying. They're going to go ahead and be, in my opinion, a, a sleeper as far as making their way up the standings. Minnesota is probably going to be a top five team in the West. I say that with full heart. Minnesota is going to be dangerous. So with them being at home, I think that they're going to go ahead and take that win easily. Honestly, probably a double-digit win for Minnesota even though it hurts to say that out loud, it's just hard to go ahead and find where Utah can excel more than what Minnesota is currently doing. If you look at their starting lineups, if you look at their depth, it seems like Minnesota is sound through and through where they could go ahead and pick at the flaws of the Jazz and just run with it. Now for the Chicago Bulls, I feel like they're a 50-50 coin flip just based off of how their games have looked so far between losing by 20 to the Thunder, but then barely coming away with a win against the Toronto Raptors, which have still yet to win a game this season, then losing to the Detroit Pistons in a double-digit loss, and then a Pacers team that isn't necessarily proven yet, even though they do have a 2-1 record as of this recording. But it still feels like Indiana is still trying to figure out who they are as a roster, still trying to develop that chemistry. So it seems like the Chicago Bulls haven't found a true win in this season. And the losses that they have taken this season, it seems as if they should have been able to control these games, but their roster is just not doing them any favors. Yes, they do have Zach Levine. Yes, they do have DeMar DeRozan. 
but there's only so much you can go ahead and do with those two guys. Nikola Vucevic is not the same player that he once was. And then having Alex Caruso, which granted, he is still playing great for them as far as being that defensive guard that can go ahead and play on ball and keep up with anyone that comes at him. But at the same time, he's just not producing as much as he was anticipated to from when he came from the Los Angeles Lakers. So this team alone, it just seems like every game that they play is going to be a 50-50 coin flip. So with that being said, I do believe that Chicago will come away with the win in this case. But at the same time, it's going to be a back and forth. It's going to be messy. It's going to be scrappy. So in order to go ahead and make sure that Utah doesn't get down on this game, because based off of where my predictions are, this is going to go ahead and be the second two game losing streak for Utah. It's going to go ahead and probably take a little bit of a toll on them. But with it being a road trip, you can't let it get to you too much. You need to go ahead and move on to the next game, which in their case, they'll go ahead and have to travel to Indiana and then Memphis to end that road trip. But we'll dive into those into our next episode. As far as what we have seen from this Utah roster, there's some pros and there's definitely some cons as far as who is getting minutes, who's not getting minutes, and where I personally feel everyone should lie. Lowry Markkinen playing great. John Collins exceeding my expectations. Jordan Clarkson, I'm very impressed with how he's playing, even though his point production isn't where it was last season. I am so excited seeing him playing so differently and looking for the open man rather than trying to go ahead and try and create shots for himself. Granted, I do believe that he still needs to find a way to channel his inner point guard because he is still causing a lot of turnovers. Currently, after four games, he's averaging three and a half per game. But again, I'm loving the evolution of Jordan Clarkson's game so far. So if that means that we have to deal with a couple extra turnovers to go ahead and see that transition, I am fine with it at the moment. But again, I'm loving what I'm seeing so far. Colin Sexton, I still feel like the way that he plays is still super erratic. And I love the energy that he brings to the team. But it seems as if like he's very inconsistent. He's always trying to create the plays for himself. And it almost looks like he doesn't know how to create for others. But Again, we're four games in. He's going back to coming off the bench again. So that's a completely different role than what he was given near the end of the last season. But we will see the rest of the season to see if he is going to go ahead and continue his growth, if he's going to develop his traits to go ahead and excel as a bench leader, or maybe Utah has some other plans that haven't been vocalized, and we'll just have to wait for those to unfold. Walker Kessler. He has not been playing up to what Jazz fans were expecting. After having an all-rookie season last year, being top five in the league in blocks, even starting off the season coming off the bench and still being that high on that list, a lot of high expectations were set for Walker. But it seems as if there is more of an emphasis on developing guards this season that Kessler is being pushed off to the side. But... We also have seen some development with Kessler. He's taking more threes. Granted, he's still a little hesitant on it. And even head coach Will Hardy is starting to sub him out and almost punish Kessler for not taking wide open threes. With the skill set that Kessler currently has, he needs to be able to develop that confidence in that shot to go ahead and make him a viable threat. Because in today's game, 
as a center, you have to be able to stretch the floor or you are just doing a big disservice to your entire team. Kessler, he has shown he can go ahead and shoot threes. He went ahead and did it during NBA All-Star Weekend. He went ahead and did it for the first game back from All-Star Weekend. And he went ahead and made an opening three for, I believe it was against the Clippers. It was very first shot of the game and Kessler went ahead and drained it from the corner. Crowd went wild. But that has to become a consistent thing for other teams to go ahead and recognize it, respect it, and then that opens up the floor for the rest of your team. So far, he's not rebounding as much as he was last season. He's not blocking as much as he was last season. So overall, I want to see him develop his most recent game against the Denver Nuggets. He went ahead and put up 20-plus points and 10-plus rebounds. He was just doing great, looking like the center that we expected him to be. But now we need that to be consistent. For Taylor Horton Tucker, it's a love-hate relationship from what I've seen. He's always managing to find a way to score, facilitate, and do it while looking like he's just touched the basketball for the first time. He's only 22, but at the same time, this is what, his fourth, fifth season in the league? You would think that at this point, with how much investment the Lakers went ahead and put into him, how much his contract currently is with the Utah Jazz being near $11 million, you would think that a player with those type of accolades would be face of the franchise or at least a starter that is competent. But every time I see Taylor Horton Tucker, I am pretty much holding on for dear life to figure out whether or not the ball is going to reach a Utah Jazz player's hands, an opposing team's hands, or potentially even the third row out of bounds. So it's definitely a love-hate relationship because, don't get me wrong, THT, he can play, especially once he gets hot, draining threes like it's nobody's business, bodying people into the paint. And just being able to drive past any guard that tries to go up against him because of his frame. It's really hard to go ahead and back up a player like THT when the way he plays is just so inconsistent. And the film will go ahead and back that up. But when he has phenomenal games like last season against the Charlotte Hornets where he almost broke the Utah Jazz's triple-double curse... When you see games like that, and then you see games where he's just chucking it out of bounds, it's really hard to back a guy like that. Kelly Olenek, on the other hand, he's definitely taken a step back now that he is with the bench unit rather than as a starter, but he's still doing everything he needs to do. He's still scoring as needed. He's becoming a facilitator for the Utah Jazz rebounding where it's needed. He was even described to being the smartest person on the court. So having Kelly Olenek on this team is not only going to be great for the production on the court, but it's also going to be great for some of these younger guys like Keontae George to go ahead and get a larger basketball IQ, learn how to facilitate the ball from someone who's been in the league for as long as Olenek has been. Overall, I'm still happy with how Olenek has been playing. I do believe that with his age and his contract, that as the season goes along, he's probably going to become a trade asset for some team that's going to try and make a push for the playoffs if Utah is not a team trying to do that. But we'll just have to let the season unfold. Keontae George, as mentioned earlier, he is learning a lot and he is being thrown into the fire. He's done a great job, in my opinion, as far as rookies go. He's doing great, especially being able to facilitate the ball, and especially with his first three outings, having nearly 30 points between those three games, 
and just being able to find an open man, making clean passes, even some of the outlet passes that he's made have just been great, especially from a guy that wasn't necessarily seen as a ball handler when he was in college. He was seen as more of a catch-and-shoot guy, bundling his ability to go ahead and score, plus creating him to be the point guard of the future. I believe he's been doing great, and his minutes have been increasing because of how well he's been able to play on the court. It's just been great seeing George play the way he has been. Chris Dunn, I still believe that he is arguably the best facilitator on the team. Not necessarily the best point guard, but he does show every single time he's on the floor, he's going to be a defensive menace. He's going to apply pressure to the ball handler, and he always manages to find the open man whenever he's playing. Even though his turnovers say otherwise, he is second only to Jordan Clarkson in turnovers per game with two. But at the same time, Chris Dunn is proving that he is a defensive menace, leading the team with 1.3 steals per game, which is tied with Kelly Olynyk. And those guys, they just managed to create for everyone around them. A player that has been a little disappointing for me has been Ochai Abaji. He was excelling last year, but I also have to take into account that he was excelling because of injuries, which created the opportunities for him, which he did capitalize on. But as of what we've seen so far, Abaji is just not on the same page as everyone else. He's receiving the minutes. It's just for some reason, everything is just going against him. Same with Fontecchio. Nothing is going his way. So for those guys to not be getting the minutes or production that they did last season, it's a little upsetting, but that's why they're a little more on the tail end of rotations. Luka Samanich, Omer Yurt 7, just because of the guys that are in front of them, there's not really a lot of leeway for them to go ahead and get good time on the court. As the season develops, we will go ahead and see if there will be more rotation changes, see what Will Hardy will do to mix things up. But what do you think of our team? Let us know either on X, formerly known as Twitter, at AlmaBean23. I am more than welcome to answer any questions, dive into any of the content that we've spoken about today, or any questions that you may have. So go ahead and give a like and follow there. And here for Highlighter Highlights, go ahead and follow us either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We will be posting every single week where you will hear my thoughts about everything Utah Jazz as the season develops. But with that being said, y'all enjoy the rest of your day and go Jazz. <laughs>